This episode of AmateurLogic.tv is sponsored by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. Between now and February 28th of 2013, use the promo code ALTV at checkout and save $10 off your next order of $50 or more when you shop America's largest independent ham radio dealer, Gigaparts.com. Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 49. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's good to be back with you in 2013. Tommy, how have you been doing? How, how did you make it through the holidays? I did pretty good. We went to Tennessee. So we usually spend Christmas at home, but uh, we were out of town this time. So it was kind of odd waking up Christmas morning from in a hotel. Wow. But uh, yeah. otherwise, we had a great time, though. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, what about you, Peter? Oh, just a relaxing week and a half off at home uh, with the family and uh, just a very quiet Christmas, but very enjoyable. Oh, that's good. And pretty much the same thing for me. We stayed around the house for the most part. My son and his family came over from uh, Houston and visited, and uh, we went to my parents' house. Had a good Christmas, and uh, I got one of those little uh, Parrot AR drones. Oh yeah. yeah, they're good fun. Yeah, a little. Uh, is, is this a quadcopter or a hexacopter or an yeah, octocopter? It's, it's a quadcopter, and I, I really haven't had but one flight, and it was in the shack here, and I'm not very good. Yeah, no. One flight, man, I'd be tearing that thing up. Well, that's what I was afraid <laughs> I would do. So. I've got a little remote helicopter, and I actually use that thing once or twice yeah. a week in my shack in there. I'll buzz that thing around the room. Yeah, well, it's a lot of fun. We've got a ham fest coming up here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to take it down there and uh, see if we can fly it and get some good HD video from above without giving anybody a haircut. Yeah, you might want to practice again before we go <laughs> yeah. out there, though. You only had one does, flight. Does it actually come with a um, an onboard GPS? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, uh, it's well, got you a video add camera. A Raspberry Pi and an onboard GPS, and um, just let it basically. You know, uh, give it a pre-programmed route to fly. Hmm. I suppose you could if you could make the Raspberry Pi uh, run an iPad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can try, it's, it's controlled by an iPad or an iPhone. Yeah, or an Android. Or, or an Android device. Mm-hmm. And Emil's going to be with us a little later on in the show and uh, looking forward to talking to him and seeing how he made it through the new year. That's going to be interesting. Tommy, what have you got on your old email stack over there? Well, if I can hang on to my earbud here. <clears throat> Man, I got, uh, you know, last time I did the project with the Arduino, and I've had quite a few emails about it. This uh, first one is from John, W1GNL, says he loves the projects with the Arduino. He has one for us that we might enjoy quite a bit. He says he's obsessed with accurate time. So we built a GPS clock with an Arduino and used Ethernet shield and LCD shield to display the clock uh, locally and after the NTP time server. 
So uh, anyway, he uh, sent a link here for uh, eBay where he got the GPS module, and uh, the link is right here. Um, anyway, he says he also has another project that he's finishing up using the Arduino RS-432 custom-made relay board and a touchscreen TFT for a remote antenna switch. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, he says design's progressing somewhat slowly, but uh, it allows you to use two radios at once on different antennas. Um, anyway, he said he'd uh, share it with us when it gets a little farther. Anyway, yeah. please do, John. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, it does. Peter, what have you got down there from down under? My first email here is from uh, Cliff VK to CCJ, one of my fellow Australians. Love to see you guys build a 40-meter to 10-meter magnetic loop HF antenna for us with limited space using copper tube, etc. then perhaps compare it with a dipole. And he also mentions he's building an Elecraft K2, which is a full parts kit, not clipped together, very good performance and rewarding to build. There are lots of uh, kits out there, and uh, certainly uh, uh, I'm certainly starting to get into the kit building myself. Uh, any volunteers to do the loop project? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to flip a three-headed coin and see how that one comes <laughs> out. I've got one here. This one, uh, who did this come from? Uh, John, W-A-8-Y-X-M. And he said he finally got around to watching the RF Grease show. And uh, the copper piping on the steel is not an antenna. It is very clearly a tank coil. <laughs> and he, he loved the names of the nets. And uh, he said, watching you uh, comment on the crimp terminals and the small wire, he said, I've seen them for 20-plus uh, gauge wires, but don't have a tool small enough or a magnifier strong enough for that. Well, thanks, John, I, and I understand completely. If you notice, uh, I have to wear these things these days. Uh, and, and Tommy even has a pair over there. So uh, I try to keep mine out of sight. Yeah. So, Peter, what have you got for us this month? Oh, well, my project this month, well, uh, I'm uh, quite into buying uh, little dinky electronic gadgets, and the latest dinky electronic gadget has come out of Shenzhen. So here it is. And today I'm going to review the UG802, which is a little dongle that claims to be able to turn your TV into a smart TV. It comes in a little box like this. Let's run through the specifications and see what it claims to have. It's got and sorry Android 4.0 Jelly Bean. Uh, it's running an RK3066 Dual Cortex A9 processor at 1.5 gigahertz. It's got one gigabyte of DDR3 RAM, four gigabytes of flash memory, external 3G, which is quite incredible. Uh, 802.11 BG and N, so you can connect wirelessly to your router, and a number of interfaces, which we'll go through in a second. Okay, it's unboxing time. So, what do we have? Got a manual. And here's the UG802, which we'll pull apart. HDMI connector, mini USB, USB 2.0, and a TF card slot on the side. Now, uh, into that, you would plug this cable, or rather into the mini USB slot. You would plug the cable, like so, 
okay? And you could power this off your TV set, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, in my experience, because I've already had a play with this device, uh, you'll find that uh, the power that comes out of your TV will probably be insufficient and it may cause Wi-Fi and or operational problems. You're much better plugging it into this 5 volt 1 amp power supply that comes with the uh, UG802. And so this will now go into the uh, into a power socket. This plugs into the HDMI port on your television set. Uh, and so that's the UG802 side of things uh, covered. Now I purchased this as part of a package for about 75 US dollars all up. With that came this remote and it's got a full QWERTY keyboard and uh, it's also a mouse so you'll actually get like a mouse pointer uh, coming up on the screen. If I pull the back of this off you'll see you've got to supply your own batteries, three I think AAA batteries and this little plug here goes into the USB slot on the back of the UG802. I don't actually recommend this uh, this uh, wireless remote. I find it's a bit clumsy to use, uh, a bit uh, bit awkward. I much prefer to actually plug in a wireless keyboard and mouse, and you'll find that will uh, significantly improve the usability of the device. Setting up the uh, uh, the UG802 is as simple as plugging this into the HDMI HDMI port. It won't go. A slight problem there. Just not quite enough room to fit that in. But fortunately on the side here, we have another HDMI connector. So with a little luck, lo and behold, we've uh, plugged it in. Okay, we're now booting up the UG802. I've got it plugged into the side of my television set. And as you'll see, it doesn't take very long to power up. We're in Android 4.1 now. And as you can see, uh, it's a typical tablet experience. Now, this is just a TV. So if I touch any of these things, nothing happens. But I can use my mouse to open them up um, and uh, to change windows and the like. Now, I've just clicked on the, um, the little app apps uh, shortcut in the top right-hand corner. And as you can see, I've downloaded and installed quite a number of uh, apps. Angry Birds, for example. I've got uh, Google Earth somewhere in here. Uh, I've got uh, a NASA app, so I can stream NASA TV, which is really, really good. And what else we got? We I put in a YouTube app. I think um, there were some difficulties with the inbuilt YouTube app, uh, and I it wouldn't go full screen. So what I did was uh, I found out that if you uh, install, I think it's 4.1.47, uh, you'll find that that will work much, much better. And that's what I've done. I deleted the YouTube app, hunted around on the internet and found that, uh, that, that other version or earlier version of the app and it works just fine now. So uh, let's uh, uh, look at a couple of these apps and uh, just to give you a demonstration. So we'll start with YouTube and we'll search for... A TV program of some kind. Uh, well, this one, Amateur Logic, looks good. Let's see how that goes. Okay. Uh, Amateur Logic 46. Uh, three slightly drunk 
uh, guys sitting around talking about podcasts that they've made. That's, uh, yeah, here we go. And if I just click there, I can go full screen. Yep. Quality entertainment. Now, if I click the home button, I've gone out of um, the YouTube app. But I'll show you something. I've installed Advanced Task Killer. What happens is you've got to be careful about the way that you exit apps because sometimes they're running in the background and YouTube is still running here. So if I want to kill off those apps and close them down to free up memory, I just hit that one button at the top and it's all gone. So we've pretty well shown you streaming video. Let's have a look at some Angry Birds. Okay. Okay. Die, pig, die. Here we go. So again, that that was uh, quite effective. Um, it uh, the, the main point I'm trying to make here is that uh, this is. Just like using a tablet, it's exactly the same experience, except, of course, you, you aren't actually you're using a mouse and you're not using a touch screen. Uh, but it, it's very fluid. It, it's the, uh, the, Pro, the UG802 is very responsive, uh, even with uh, something that's as memory intensive as Google Earth. Uh, if you just wait a second or two, I can... Look, at, I, mean, I can remember running Google Earth on slower computers several years ago, and just uh, noting how long, uh, how non-responsive it really was. Now, it takes a little while to load up the maps, but... Now, the one difference with this, by the way, is for some reason the scroll wheel doesn't work on some of these apps. I'm not sure why. I, maybe I need to enable it in some way. But if you double-click, you'll zoom in. And, you know, the maps will load up over time. So that's Google Earth. That works quite uh, quite well. And so really, that's about it. Uh, for uh, around $55, uh, a full computer experience on your TV set. Now, uh, leaving aside the, uh, the entertainment value of a device like that, uh, now, you would have noted that uh, the uh, Raspberry Pi, which, of course, is this device, uh, is somewhat cheaper, um, but can do a lot of similar things. For... Uh, for applications that are perhaps not as uh, resource intensive, the Raspberry Pi is the better option. However, if you've got uh, some applications, perhaps like uh, software-defined radio, uh, it might actually be an idea to get the UG802 and uh, try and use that instead. I understand that Ubuntu is being ported to the UG802, and uh uh, it's uh, they've actually got it to an alpha stage, so it's only uh, probably a few months away, and you'll be able to have a fully working Ubuntu, and of course you'll have access to all the um, ham radio and other applications that you can run on Ubuntu. So there you go, the UG802. Well, when I saw that, Peter, it looks just like my Android tablet. You actually have the same wallpaper on it. That's a pretty neat device. 
Yeah, I haven't got around to customising the wallpaper yet, but it's uh, it's basically an Android tablet, but you control it with your mouse and you use your TV set. So it's uh, I found it a really practical device, and I found also found that I'm spending a lot less time on my standalone computer, and uh, now just using uh, my TV set. It's really useful. So what else are you doing? Well, my next project, and uh, thanks for the uh, the lead in for this. It's going to be this. This is a kit from the, uh, what is it, Four State QRP group that I've just received. And it's got 14 components and it's a 5 watt, uh, 40 meter transmitter, CW of course, and uh, a very simple and easy uh, kit to make. And the, the key thing about this is, have a look at this. There are no toroids or coils. They're actually wound into the circuit board as the, the traces. So it's, uh, uh, and if, uh, the other thing they've done is they've actually uh, put some, uh, some white on the uh, side of it to actually make it, make it look like a QSL card. So you could actually write on this, attach a stamp, and actually send it as a, uh, a QSL card through the mail. Anyway, that's my next project. Uh, relatively inexpensive, only about uh, $30 uh, US to buy, and uh, I'm really looking forward to making that. Oh, it'll be interesting to see how you come out on that. I'm not familiar with that kit. Uh, tell me, what have you got next on your stack there? i got one from Chris, NR9Q. Um, anyway, he says he has an idea. This is, I guess this is Arduino week. <laughs> anyway, he says he has an idea uh, for an Arduino project. He says it's something he's wanted to do but he only has a basic understanding of electronics. Um, he's looking for a cheap way to make an ASL or A&L rotor for EME antennas, um, azimuth elevation. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it would include y- Yagi style, uh, I'm sorry, Yagi's or dish style antennas. Most of the rotors he's seen are uh, a bit pricey. So he says, mm-hmm. would it be possible to use an Arduino to track the position of azimuth and elevation of an antenna array? Yeah, and I saw where he said, uh, you know, he referred us to high gang there and, you know, where they use a 500-ohm indicator pod in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think, yeah, you know, you got analog inputs on that thing. Sure. So, mm. so yeah, it should be possible. Yeah, that um, uh, your, your project uh, that's coming up a little later in the show, which is a an antenna, would actually go nicely uh, with, a, with a rotor built like that there, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, you know, over the holidays, we had our old pal Ray here from ICOM. Yeah, yeah. He brought some nice Christmas presents with him. Well, Tommy and I went to grab a hamburger a while ago, and look who we ran into. Oh, man. Glad <laughs> to be here, guys. What What brings you down here, Ray? Well, for the holidays, um, my wife's got family down here, so we came down and and uh, happen to see you guys pull into local burger joint. You brought some uh, potential nice Christmas gifts. Tommy, which one do you want? I, we haven't shown them what they're going to be yet here, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of liking both of them. But uh, with my lifestyle, honestly, the uh, the handheld one is probably yeah. Well, more that, that'll work out. I'll take the other one. Yeah, but I might <laughs> might change your mind on it. You might stick with that both and. See what else you can get rid of. Now, Tommy, George has already passed the test. How would you change the bands on this? 
Well, I don't see anything that says band on it, but just kind of by instinct, I guess you would touch the frequency. Look at there. Okay, George, let's look at changing modes. Changing modes. Well, let's see. What mode am I on now? SCW reverse. Obviously, I'm touching the... Oh, wait a minute. I didn't see that down there when yeah. I was clicking that. Now, before you... LSB. Go ahead and hit it again. Look in the lower left-hand corner. DV. Yes, sir. I'm I'm on HF. Yes, sir, you are. DV. Huh. Is that D-Star? Yes, sir. On HF? On HF, built in. This is not the only toy you brought with you today. No, it's not the only toy. Have you changed your mind on... Which one are you actually, drooling at both? Actually, I could see this in my future. So like the 31, I keep wanting to call it the 3100, but the ID31, it's got the GPS built in, I see. The difference between it and the 31 is just a little bit taller, mm -hmm. bigger display, but things like the belt clip, I robbed that off of my 31. Mm -hmm. The battery pack are both the same, the charger, the microphones... It looks a lot the, the same on the side where you have your speaker mic and then your data, your DC input. Mm -hmm. And then your push to talk, your squelch control. Power on and off. It takes me a little while to remember it's right there. Mm -hmm. And then your, your micro SD card on the side. Mm -hmm. Underneath the, yep. the rubber there. Yep. That's, uh, that's nice. I like, I like that. I like being able to record the D-Star QSOs and, and the nets and things like I mentioned before that record them. Now i got a question for you on a recorder. I haven't tested it myself, but I know on our ICR-20 we came out with a receive recorder, and it would only record while there was a signal. You'd get no dead air. Have you noticed that and to be the case? You could have it do the same thing, yeah. So that when you look at... Ah, the Faraday yeah. cage has got a hole in it. Yeah, <laughs> we just had come across the 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 radio function, the FM broadcast radio, and it does AM broadcast as well. So you don't have to miss the Alabama Notre Dame game. Yeah, well, that's very important not to miss. So, so you'd be able to listen to that, and then if there's activity coming across the band, it will mute the broadcast radio, and you get to hear what's going on in the repeater. So essentially, it's uh, same same functionality. Just do we're, we got the other band we were missing before. Um, the other one was a great radio. But I kind of sometimes I missed having the the two meter side. But you can so, just go to oh, no. where it's like the thirty one mm -hmm. with one band at a time. Now there is a, a new thing in the quick menu where you've got band select. You go up to the top and you can select whether you want 440, the AM aircraft band, 2 meter, or the 440. I like the simplicity of it. it uh, just very few buttons, but everything's kind of intuitive the way it's laid out. Really easy to get to. I can see this in my future, too. Too many, too many toys. That huh? one's in my future. Oh, that's in your future? <laughs> your future's not looking too good, man. <laughs> <laughs> When we go to look at the, the near repeater function, it's just like on the 31. When you're in the DR mode, which we are up on the top section, we hit the CS button. You've got repeater list, near repeater, or your transmit history. 
And while we don't have it loaded in right now, you would just hit the blue button on near repeater and it would give you the listing. Right. And in addition, you can also go back to the repeater directory, right? If you're going to travel to Memphis or whatever, and you can actually go and look through the, the Tennessee repeaters and see which ones are in the area so you'll know when you go that there are some yes. available or not, which is a nice feature. I've used that a lot. There's an email that I received showing the cover of the D, of the 51 owner's manual. An okay. anime with, I can begin using D-Star. When my son was a little younger, I could have probably gotten him interested if I was showing him Yu-Gi-Oh! had a handy talkie. <laughs> That's sort of what it looks like, isn't it? Oh, yeah. When are we expecting these radios to hit the market? Soon? Uh, as soon as we have FCC certification, they're going to start flowing out our door. You have one final toy here. It's not a radio. Not a radio. We actually talked about this when we reviewed the software, but it wasn't on the market at that time. But now I see it's here. And, boy, that looks just like the knob on an ICOM radio. This is a control knob for the RSBA1 software. It's called the RC28. But it's a little bit more than just a simple rotary control knob and a push-to-talk. You have an indicator for when you're transmitting, but you also have a link-established indicator. So if you're just using this for tuning up and down the band on your remote base, you can see what your link status is. That, that you're actually connected over the Internet. Yes, there's handshaking going on there. You also is... have a Function 1, Function 2 button, which is programmable for what you want to do, along with the, the push-to-talk. Okay. So that... Although I'm operating on a computer, I would feel like I had a radio because oh, yes. I could turn that knob there. Mm -hmm. Got a physical push to talk. Yeah. This is very interesting because we've shown uh, a few different remote, uh, you know, remote devices before, some interviews and things. But uh, I'm kind of excited about playing with this. The software that we had before with the 7200 it worked, worked great. Yeah. And uh, this is just a nice little addition to it. It gives you a, a, the feel of a real radio. And those were some nice toys Ray brought. I love that handy talkie. It's uh, pretty much like my 31 on steroids. It's great. That was a couple of nice Christmas presents there. And it's just too bad that he packed them up and took them back to the North Pole with him. Yeah. It, it wasn't for lack of trying. No. It, it he did leave us one we're going to play with here in the future, though. Yeah, the, that little... Uh, the control knob. That's yeah. pretty sweet. Play with that, too. Yeah. And the little handy talkie, man, that's got to be the nicest handy talkie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's got a lot of neat features on it. And the touchscreen rig, you know. Oh. When I first heard of that, I didn't think that was a very good idea. But now that we've played with it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love the way it functions. It was so intuitive. Yeah, you really don't have to know much about operating a radio. You just... Uh, well, you saw it. it. It's just very simple to operate. Mm -hmm. And if you think you'd like one of those, well, get on the horn with uh, gigaparts.com and make a reservation. You can be one of the first people to get an IC7100 or an ID51A. With a $20 non-refundable deposit, you can reserve an ID51A or an IC7100 with the right of first refusal. If you decide not to purchase a radio when it's released, you can apply that deposit on anything else at Gigaparts for up to 12 months, so you're not out any money. And remember, between now and February 28th of this year, use the promo code ALTV at checkout, 
and you can save $10 off your next order of $50 or more when you shop America's largest independent ham radio dealer, gigaparts.com. Now, that 10% offer can't be combined with other offers at Gigaparts, but hey, uh, everyone, uh, you like AmateurLogic.tv, you're going to love Gigaparts as well. And show your support. Use that offer code ALTV when you check out and uh, let them know that uh, you learned about it at AmateurLogic.tv. Peter, what's next on your stack down there? Next on my stack is an email from Chris, KG4ESB. I said, great show and contest. Just wish I could have won. I'm sure there are a few people out there who feel the same way. Tell Tommy the Arduino is cool and all, but I'm waiting on his segment on how to build that PL259 nose ring. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> well, uh, indeed, uh, me too. Yeah, what, how is that nose ring coming, Man, Tommy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. You really need to. I'm going to do that. You watch. Yeah, we, we <laughs> haven't got all the mileage out of that we can yet. <laughs> And I've got an email here from Bob, W2YMM, and he says, Hello, George. I know that you mentioned on the show that you were trying to get Echolink to work with the Raspberry Pi, and he wanted to pass along some developing information to us. He says, although he hadn't seen an Echolink-only application for the Pi himself yet, the developer of IRLP has just recently been successful in getting IRLP to work with the Pi. In addition, there's a program called Echo IRLP, which allows the node to do both Echolink and IRLP with a program called The Bridge. That sounds interesting, Bob. I may have to check into that. You know, we haven't got SVX Link, uh, the Echolink Linux program, working yet. Well, I actually got it running. It's just uh, audio failure after it's been on for a while. Mm -hmm. But we've got one more developer working on that now, so hopefully uh, we'll be getting somewhere before long on that. And yeah. if not... Yeah, this may be a good solution. He was actually a viewer, too. Yeah. The other guy that's working on it. Well, Tommy. Stepping up for that. Yeah. What, um, is your segment going to measure up this month? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I'll let you size it up and see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see yeah. what you think about it. Yeah, let's watch the full length. My project this time started out to be a fun outside project. Mother Nature decided not to cooperate and it started raining on me, so I had to move in here to the garage. But anyway, nevertheless, it's still going to be fun. We built the uh, Fox Hunt transmitter out of the Arduino last time, and this time we're going to build an antenna to do the fox hunting with. We're going to build a beam out of a tape measure. A little yaggy, it's got, only got a few parts, a uh, piece of PVC, some c connectors for the PVC, uh, piece of coax with a PL259 already made on it because I already had that laying around. Six hose clamps. A brand new tape measure I picked up yesterday at Harbor Freight. We've got the MFJ antenna analyzer that we'll use after we finish to test it before we hook it up to our radio, make sure everything's good. We're going to build a matching network out of a piece of Romax. Well, let's get started. We're going to need two pieces of PVC for the antenna itself. One's going to be 11 and a half inches. The other one will be 7 inches long. And I've got a handy pair of PVC cutters here that make the job really nice. It gives you a good clean cut. Okay, so we've got our two pieces. This will be for the director. The driven element will go in the middle 
and the reflector will go in the back. So the director will get the T, since that's the front end, and you can glue these if you want, but I'm not going to bother to glue them right now. If it doesn't hold together, I may come back and do that later, but it's a, it's a good snug fit. And this is what it looks like. I'm going to go ahead, since I've got my PVC cutters out, and I'm going to cut a piece to use as a handle. And I think I'll make it... I'm not going to measure, but roughly a foot. The basics behind how it's going to go together, we're going to cut the tape measure. The tape measure is going to lay across the connector, and we're just going to hose clamp it on. We'll, we'll scratch the paint off the back of the, the steel tape measure that I bought here after we get the pieces cut, tin it, and we'll go ahead and put it on, and then... When we run the coax to connect everything, we'll solder the coax to where it was tinned. Let's set this stuff aside and let's cut the elements for our beam. We're going to, this is sort of ironic, but we're going to use a tape measure to cut a tape measure. So, what we'll do is, I'm going to go ahead because it's going to suck up into the into the body of the tape measure and I'm going to go ahead and pull out uh, more than enough to do what we need. I have a pair of tin snips we're going to use to cut the tape measure. Be very careful when you cut these because these ends of this tape measure are extremely sharp so just be very careful. We're, when we cut it we're going to round these off and then I'm going to take them and and dip them. I've got some uh, plastic coating that you can put on uh, dip tools in to make a handle and I'm going to double dip those to put a protective coating around the edge of it once I'm done. take the piece of sandpaper let's get these out of the way and sand one end of each of these so we can tin it that's probably pretty good I'm going to put just a dab of the flux I got from George one time on this. He gave me an uh, ever so small amount, uh, in a, actually in an Altoids tin, <laughs> and I've been using it for years. Luckily it doesn't spoil. I don't do, usually do a lot that uh, I need to, to use flux, but I think I'm going to put it on here just to be safe. Got this old triple core rosin core solder that I got a long time ago that I've been trying to use up. Let's see how it works. These will go against our connector like so and then we'll have a good place to in the right direction to solder our coax. Next thing we're going to need to do is get the coax prepared. 
This is a piece of RG58. You may want to put some uh, 8X or something a little bit better on there, but uh, I just happen to have this handy. Works okay by mobile, so I'm pretty sure it'll work okay for this. We need to tin the ends of the Romax so it'll be easy to solder to the tape measure for our matching network. We're just about ready to start assembling. The last thing I want to do is get rid of these sharp edges like we've mentioned before. So when I'm putting this together, I don't want to get cut. And I'm sure you don't either. And uh, you may not like the sight of blood. I, I don't like the sight of my own. Let's start putting it together. We've got both of our driven elements on the beam and let's put the reflector and the director on there. I've already tinned, I tinned my coax that I shortened the ends off of, and let's go ahead and solder it, and then we'll secure it with some zip ties. Now let's put our hairpin match for our SWR, and we will solder it right here to the top. Well, it's together. It's not too big. It's fairly decent size, but it's actually and while the elements will jiggle some, they're actually not too bad. It's light, but it's pretty sturdy. Uh, let's hook it up to the uh, good old trusty MFJ259B antenna analyzer and see what it looks like. Let's make sure we're on the right band. Power it up. And we're on about 147 megahertz with a 1.3 SWR. Not bad. Ease down to around 146, 
144, 1.6. That's not too bad across the entire band. Tommy, I could tell you went to great lengths to put yeah. that together. <laughs> <laughs> I did, man. Uh, I, I, I didn't mention in my segment that, but that uh, beam has 7.3 dB of gain, according to the guy that wrote the plans for it. You know, that's a lot for for such yeah. a simple little antenna. It is, and, and uh, I didn't get to, it was pouring down rain the day I was building yeah. it, so I didn't get to go out and video myself testing it, but I did afterwards, and it worked pretty well. And um, I also tweaked and got the SWR down to 1.2 to 1. Wow. Yeah, and it looked incredibly cheap, so I think Emil would approve. Right, I, he would. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, uh, there's a, a tape measure that I'm going to have on eBay here soon. It starts at 7 feet and goes to 33 um, if you want to make one yourself. <laughs> so just watch for that. Okay. Well, that's a good deal. Well... It's uh, it's your turn on the email stack there, Tommy. This one's from Alan, AI0Q. After seeing my Arduino project, he says, in episode 48, where I was keying the UHF-HT for a fox hunt, he was inspired and got his own Arduino Uno to develop a beacon controller for their club's 10-meter CW beacon. They're on uh, 28286.5 as W0ILO transmitting from a location near Fargo, North Dakota. Um, after reviewing my C code, he figured out how to roll his own program to do the job. They're using a Kenwood TS430HF rig in CW, so he didn't have to send any audio yeah. to the rig. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a pretty good deal, Alan. I'm glad you got some use out of the Arduino project. It was actually very popular, and I'll hope to be doing some more of those here in the near future. Yeah. You know, Tommy, it's amazing the way that those glasses just appeared on your face yeah. as you started <laughs> yeah. reading there. Watch this. <laughs> well, let's go see what's up with the mill. How's it been going? Pretty good, guys. Happy New Year. A happy New Year. How how did you make it through the uh, post-apocalyptic? Uh, I can't say it. <laughs> say it, Tommy. Post-apocalyptic. <laughs> Say it, Emil. Post-apocalyptic? <laughs> the yeah. Mayan apocalypse. How about that? <laughs> yeah. How did you make it through? I made it through okay. Uh, a, a little bit woozy and, you know, moonshine <laughs> had something to do with it, but I made it. Well, good deal. Well, glad you made it. And I, I see uh, Santa Claus must have been good to you as well. Yeah, he was. And you'll see in the, in the segments there, yes. Well, that's great. So what are you going to show us this month? Um, this month, I'm, I'm taking a look at uh, some of the Christmas presents, but uh, some of the cheaper uh, Chinese radios, I was worried about um, some of the, uh, the uh, whether or not some of the Chinese radios were going to uh, stand up to my test and the test of time. And uh, so far, so good. And uh, also, I have a little bit of a follow-up on the uh, IP address uh, ranges available of hams on the um, on the internet, so uh, I went ahead and got some of those for me. Yeah, let's take a look at that, Tommy. All right. Happy New Year, and thanks for uh, letting me join your group, guys. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cheap Old Man Minutes. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about a new radio acquisition in the KE5 QKR shack. And it is the Baofeng UV5RC radio. 
some of the notable features of this radio that I appreciate being a ham is that uh, this radio will transmit in the ham bands and also the other FCC allocated bands such as FRS, GMRS, and MERS or MURS bands as well as others. The Baofeng UV5RC includes features such as 4 watts on both VHF and UHF, 128 alphanumeric memories, dual band display and watch, DTMF keypad, FM uh, broadcast receiver, uh, LED lights, and a flasher of sorts, somewhat like for emergency situations, both wide and narrow uh, bandwidths of FM, and also voice is built in, a voice module basically like any you could add to any other radio. It also comes with a drop-in charger and uh, earphones with a microphone and uh, the battery itself, a 1800 milliamp hour battery. The whole thing is $65. I don't know what the longevity of this radio is going to be, but I'm going to find out. Uh, so far, so good as far as the uh, quality is concerned. From what I can hear, the audio is ample enough for me. So we'll see. This will give you an idea of the size of the rig compared to my hand. The battery on the back there with the belt clip. And audio just acoustically here. The display does change colors as you're receiving and or transmitting, which I think is a neat feature. Plus you have also the uh, FM receive and some other features like a light, the LED light there on the uh, thing which can also be set into a emergency beacon mode if you will. But uh, for $65 I'm not sure how I'm going to go wrong unless something messed up as far as how long it'll last. The frequency range of this radio is both transmit and receive from 136 to 174 megahertz and then 400 to 480 megahertz. Uh, it also has an uh, extended receive band for the broadcast bands from 65 to 108 megahertz which includes the state's FM broadcast band of course. Uh, it also has uh, battery saver functions, uh, Vox, all the tone uh, settings for repeaters and offsets, etc. Uh, at first when I looked into these I kept reading stories about difficulties with programming them or um, you know where you better you better buy the uh, programming cable and the, for the computer but just within 15-20 minutes of opening it I already had the repeaters programmed right from the keypad so it wasn't as bad as it sounded uh, from what I read. The radio is programmable via microphone and speaker jacks on the side of the radio that goes to USB to computers which works on everyone I have so far from XP up to Windows 7 so uh, no troubles there the software is usually included by the um, whoever you bought it from in my case it was uh, on their website so I downloaded that plus the driver for the actual cable USB to uh, serial cable that came with it again no trouble 
Be sure when operating your uh, Baofeng radio or other uh, Chinese radios to uh, stay within your privileges because the radio does uh, not have the same limiting uh, factors as most uh, USA-made radios might have. So stay within your uh, licensing class and FCC rules. So I'm continuing on from last the last cheap old man minute segment in, in reference to the AMPR net I went ahead and found my coordinator for Louisiana in the United States for my country and then state and requested a range for myself so that uh, I could help the local club and myself experiment on the internet with um, IP and uh, dedicated addresses that are available to hams and uh, in my case the person in question uh, KD5JFE was very responsive and was able to provide the um, range that I requested within a day's time uh, they do ask that you um, give them some more time because this is not the only thing those people do and it's volunteer just like any ham thing but he was very responsive in my case, and uh, maybe there would be for yours also. Up next on the uh, KE5QKR uh, Cheap Old Man Minute will be me hooking up the new Signalink interface I got to my 897, and also probably a review of the uh, Waxon dual band radio that I also uh, received recently. For now, I'll just leave it at uh, Waxon, Wax Off. Man, I've got the uh, model of that radio right before the one you got. I, I almost bought that one, but I got the other one. It would think I only gave $40 for mine. Wow. But uh, I bought mine kind of as a disposable type radio, but it's actually pretty decent for the money. Um, I, was, I was impressed. I, I had no idea they were that cheap. I, I knew about them, and I heard the names kind of creeping in the market, but um, I had never bought one, so this... I figured I'd go for that one. It was a little bit, uh, how do you say it, newer or contemporary looking. And, and so far, that thing is great. Yeah, you know, I bought a uh, Oshan a couple of years ago at the Jackson Ham Fest, and uh, I thought it was a cheap radio, but I, I guess it's a Cadillac compared to the price <laughs> of these. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that how you say that, Oshan? I, I might have butchered that in a segment. What did you call it, Walkson? Walkson, Walkson. Yeah. Yep. Off. <laughs> so are you going to come up to our ham fest here in a couple of weeks, Emil? I am. I'm planning to uh, make the trip up there to Jackson, and uh, hopefully I can get together you guys uh, with you guys and meet you in person. Well, that'll be great, because we've never met in person. We've talked on the air before on HF and uh, and talked here on the Internet. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we've never met. So bring the moonshine. All right, we will do. <laughs> okay, man. I uh, appreciate you being here, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, and we'll get some good footage down there with you at the Hamfest as well. All right, 73, and Happy New Year. Yeah, 73 to you. We'll see you soon. Yeah, great radio. Uh, I've got the model before that, and uh, just uh, keep it in the glove box of the car. Cheap and uh, very handy. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's okay radio for the price. I don't think it'll ever replace my icon one but uh anyway it's pretty decent yeah well peter what have you got next there yes i've got a uh, email here from hal uh ka6jhi 
It's in two parts. The first part, very briefly, is that uh, he discovered amateur logic through his Roku box and uh, it's renewed his interest in amateur radio. Uh, that's uh, uh, just a, a word on that. Uh, uh, recently, we, of course, we published our public channel uh, on the Roku box and uh, I, I checked this morning as to the number of new people that are subscribed and we've got 14,500 new subscribers wow. uh, through that channel, which is great. Incredible. The other thing he says is, I admit I had to get my wife, who's a Texan, to translate the Mississippi speak at times. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, I can uh, just understand the guys, uh, but uh, I'm still trying to work out the meaning of roll tide. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah. I don't. You know, I'm from Mississippi. Yeah, that's over across state line. I don't yeah. really understand it myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to post a link to the uh, to the meaning on the Facebook group. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, roll tide, roll tide. Well, I've got one here from Will KB5USW, and he says he absolutely loves amateur logic, and I inspired him to build the Soft Rock RXTX Ensemble. Uh, the one that I'm building over on Smoke and Solder right now. Mm -hmm. He's building along with me. And he says he also bought a Raspberry Pi, and he's looking forward to more great segments for its use with ham radio. And he had a few questions. He wanted to know, what is that magnifying desk lamp that I use, and would I recommend it? And he also wanted to know, what brand device do I use? Well, that desk lamp, I'm not sure uh, what brand that is. I bought it probably 20 years ago, and there's no name on it. It's okay. Uh, it, it works good. I mean, as far as the light and the magnifying glass, I, I don't even know the power on it. But I've had some problems with the base, and I've had to work on that a little bit before. But I would say, yeah, get one that has the circular uh, fluorescent light that goes around the the glass in there, and I think you'll be better off than, with that than some that maybe just has a, a single lamp on it. Where can you find those now? You know, that's a good question. I haven't looked, you know, in a long time. But I haven't uh, seen them in years. I, I used to see them around different places. They're, they're still around, probably Parks Express, MCM, Jamaco. Some of those would, would probably have it. And he asked about the vice that I use, and that's a Panavice. It's, um, well, they've been around for years, and they make some nice little vices. It's pretty much a standard, although there are a few alternatives to that now that uh, you might find useful. And he said he just bought a Raspberry Pi, so he might want to take a look at this. Back in episode 43 of Amateur Logic, I built a Raspberry Pi tower case. And when I got finished, I made a little prognostication about the future. And there's a little extra room inside. What am I going to do with that? You'll find out eventually. Well, eventually has finally arrived. So today, let's take a look and see what I've done. The first thing I've changed is I've added a cable here from the composite output so that I could place a jack on the outside of the case. So if I ever want to use composite out, I have that option. Normally I use HDMI. I also put one ohm resistors across the two polyfuses for the USB port. The polyfuses limited the maximum current that the USB ports could support to 100 milliamps and the internal resistance of the fuses also dropped the voltage a little bit to USB devices, and this caused some problems. By placing 1 ohm resistors across the fuses, instead of just shorting across them with wire, this helps reduce the inrush current when a device is plugged in and out and prevent problems that could cause the system to reboot. 
Now, you may have noticed this regulator down here in the bottom. Well, that's a 7805 linear regulator that I thought I might use to step down 12 volts coming from a power connector. I ran that through a switch and then over to a one-amp fuse and then the 12 volts on into the regulator. And from there, I ran the output of the regulator up to TP1 on the Raspberry Pi, which was a convenient 5-volt point. Well, this got way too hot. I couldn't hardly hold my finger on the heat sink for very long, and that's a problem. And aside from that, all that additional heat is wasted energy. So trying to power the Raspberry Pi off a battery was just going to run down the battery way too quick. So this solution wasn't going to work. Fortunately, though, I found the LM2576T-5, which is a simple switcher regulator. It's a 3-amp step-down voltage regulator, and it's highly efficient. It only takes a few parts to put this circuit together. Of course, the regulator chip first. And we're going to need a couple of capacitors, a 100 microfarad, a thousand microfarad and ten volts was plenty for that. A one in fifty eight twenty two Schottky diode, a one hundred microhenry inductor, and I found one that would do two point four amps, and a little piece of perf board to mount all this on. Now we can see from the schematic this is a very simple little circuit. On the input there, there's that one hundred microfarad capacitor. Now we can feed this with anywhere from seven to forty volts input. So choose a capacitor with a high enough voltage rating there to accommodate the voltage you plan to use. There's a couple of terminals that go to ground. Uh, there's a feedback line off pin 4 that goes to the output. And on the output itself, we see we've got that Schottky diode in there for protection. And a 100 microhenry inductor. And a 1000 microfarad capacitor for filtering. Because this is a switching power supply. We do need to filter out any hash that's going to be mixed in with the output. Now the inductor should have a high enough current rating for our circuit. Actually, I suspect I'll be under 1 amp, but a 2.4 amp is what I found. And the output capacitor should have a high enough voltage rating to accommodate our 5 volts there. I chose a 10 volt. That's a, a good convenient value. After putting it together, I decided to test everything, so I ran in 12 volts, and I'm measuring the output here, and I've got 5.05 volts. And I fill the regulator chip here. There's very little heat. I can barely tell it's on, so, so far, this is looking good. I've mounted the regulator inside my Raspberry Pi case now. There's the inductor. I'm playing back some HD video to have this under load. I can put my finger on the heat sink. And I feel very little heat here. I could probably get away without even using a heat sink in here. There's more heat on the chips than there is on the regulator. So that's a very good thing. Let's take some voltage measurements now. I'll measure the voltage going into the regulator here. And I've got 11.08 volts going in. So now let's measure the output of the regulator. And it is 4.99, 4.98, right at 5 volts. So that's perfect. So this has been a great solution for dropping 12 volts or more down to 5 volts to run the Raspberry Pi. I feel very little heat on the heat sink there. So that means this is highly efficient.
and it's going to be a great way to run the Raspberry Pi in the mobile or off a battery without wasting excess power. And I really like that. I'm going to be building one of those myself. Yeah, the pie supply. Yeah, the pie supply. <laughs> the bakery. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've forgotten where I saw that. I think maybe somebody posted a link uh, to that chip on uh, the Facebook group. And uh, I went and looked it up and I said, hey, this is, this may work. And boy, I was amazed at how little heat it generated. So it really is what you need to drop down, you know, 12 volts or a little more down to 5 volts for mm-hmm. that pie. That, see, now that'll work great with my project that I want to do here in the near future to run my DVAP with a battery yeah. and my uh, little MiFi, battery powered MiFi, and that controlled my Raspberry Pi, yeah. the power my Raspberry Pi. That'd be great. Yeah, a lot of things you can do with that. Uh, a great little chip, and uh, boy, I'm glad I ran across mm-hmm. that one. Well, we've enjoyed it today, everyone. Uh, it's a new year. 2013, and uh, boy, we're looking forward to a great one. We've got a lot of things planned for this year, and you'll just have to tune in next month and see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, we definitely got a lot of uh, interesting stuff already planned. You mm-hmm. know. Peter's yeah. told us what he's going to do, but I'm not ready to say what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm yet. not going to disclose mine just yet, only <laughs> because I don't know. Well, same here. <laughs> Well, we want to thank gigaparts.com for uh, sponsoring this episode of AmateurLogic.tv. And be sure to visit them today. And don't forget the promo code ALTV when you check out and save $10 off your order of $50 or more. And while you're there, you might as well go ahead and register for their uh, sweepstakes where you could win a free HF radio. You can register every day in that sweepstakes. Uh, to increase your odds of winning. So uh, thanks, gigaparts.com, for sponsoring this episode. And from Jackson, Mississippi, I'm going to say 73. Yep, 73. See you next month. And from Melbourne, Australia, 73s as well. just recently been successful in getting IRLP to work on Echo on the... Uh, and I've got an email here from... Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been into the wine again, have you, George? No, I haven't. <laughs> you know, I haven't had... Prob- uh, I haven't had... Su- I just need to do that over. <laughs> <laughs>